do more jumping um, than uh, athletes do. Um, there are several studies that have been out uh, comparing uh, women basketball players to ballerinas and the number of jumps that a, a ballerina will do in a class in rehearsal during a day compared to and very few if any injuries compared to what a, uh, a basketball female basketball player will be playing and um, astronomical number of injuries and it's any number of things because supposedly they are playing on a, a, a sport specific floor and it may have to do with the actual training, what kinds of exercises they're doing to prepare their bodies and to get them ready. But um, you know, one of the things that we have to make sure of is that in the, the dance space, it's really, really quite imperative that um, we know what kinds of surfaces we're doing and what kinds of dancing will be required. And, you know, if they're, you know, I, I, I've danced in places that weren't conducive to dance, um, but I had to make adjustments to the choreography to make it work. So it wasn't what would have been presented had it been on stage or mm -hmm. in a proscenium space. But, um, you know, it was, you know, if I had to dance in sneakers, then there were no pirouettes and there were no jumps in it. And right. The cement floor, or, you know, things like that. So. Can you tell me the most, most difficult time where you had to adjust to a space that wasn't conducive? And how did you, how did you, uh, balance that out? Um, there are several that come to mind. I'm remembering one um, early in my career out in Oklahoma. Um, I was considered an ambassador for my university for doing a dance that one of my teachers had choreographed. And um, I was uh, hired to do the dance. I got there to the space. It turned out it was in the basement of a church. Mm. Um, the space that I the dance had been choreographed on was the space that was roughly... 30 by 28 and the dance took up the entire 30 feet by 28 feet um, this was literally um, maybe five six coffee tables put together <laughs> it's all the dance space that it was and there was no ceiling literally if i had um, stood on my toes and reached my hand up i could touch the ceiling and uh the space was not uh 30 by you know 25 28 feet it was literally maybe at most eight by 10. And uh, there was no you know, uh, uh, dress rehearsal to work out the space. I literally got there, I had time to warm up. And then uh, during the dance, as I was walking out you know, to actually do the dance, I was reconfiguring the dance as I was walking out to position myself for it. Mm. To figure out, okay, this dance, this stage, the step has to go forward, this one has to go back. This one will stay in place because we can't move any further there, and we have to make sure we get this step in because it's one of the, the big moments. And uh, you know, it was just because it was solo, it was easy because I was very very familiar with the dance. It was easy easier, I should say, to do um, had it been uh, you know two people, an ensemble of some sort, um, we would have required time to adjust to the dance. And hence, when I do performances or I, uh, people contact me to say, oh, can we get your ensemble to perform here in this space? Um, I, I'm hoping that it's far enough in advance that I can come and do a dry run um, to take a look at it. Um, for instance, uh, last fall, Book of Museum brought me in to do a dance based on a visual artist they brought in. 
I met with them in advance uh, to take a look at the spaces that were available for the dancers to come in and perform and to get an idea of what the pieces were visually for me. And then I took pictures of it to show the dancers, um, knowing that we would not get a chance to get there beforehand, but they had video and photographs of me in the space moving and looking at the space and then going online to look at examples of this um, artist's work. And so um, we were able to you know, approximate what it was that was there enough um, to do the dance. So in your uh, history, I'm sure that you have had to make decisions on when you thought that you could participate in an event for the greater good as opposed to, um, you know, participate in an event where there is going to be funding, where there is going to be commissions uh, due. So uh, in that sense, uh, what are the factors for you specifically to say that, of course, I'm going to volunteer my time uh, in order to, you know, present a work as opposed to, or, you know, on the other side, of course, if they're providing me a, um, an honorarium or a fee in order to uh, come in and uh, do my work. You know, what are your guidelines to that? Um, I'll give an example. Um, several years ago, a um, coalition, a group, I should say, I'm not sure it was a formal group, of LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, friendly religious organizations came together to do an opening um, ceremony of some sort um, uh, uh, for the opening of Gay Pride in uh, Lake Worth Beach. And uh, two of the people, uh, husbands now, uh, had contacted me and they said, do you, um, do you have a dance that could be done? It's in the amphitheater. It's a cement floor. It's not appropriate for dancing. Um, I was familiar with it because I'm on the board of Compass, the Gay and Lesbian Community Center for Palm Beach County, um, the largest LGBT center in the Southeast United States. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I knew what the organization was doing. Um, of course, I wanted to participate in it because it was, um, uh, yeah, I'm openly gay. Um, the event was something unique in bringing together diverse voices. Um, various different phases of um, religious beliefs and it was the opening of you know, gay pride and it sounded like an incredible event to participate in there were no monies there were no monies to um, uh, afford this and uh, so yeah, I was not going to be able to engage my dancers in it because I tried to limit those kinds of things because the, the dancers that I use who are professional dancers, there's still the time and the money that they have to spend to get someplace. And so I, I make sure that if there are any funds that go to them, I am a professor. Um, so my fee, again, depends on um, the kind of event and what it services um, and how the program, the dance program, would benefit from exposure so sometimes it's about the money sometimes it's not about the money it's about what the event is who is seeing it and whether or not um, you know, what 
the outcomes would be for the dance program for uh, trying to engage something like this or be involved in something like this. Um, I'm not sure if that fully answers your question. No, no, that's fine. It's fine. Um, so what so am that one? It was that it was, um, you know, it was a solo that I could do. The solo uh, happens 90% on a bench. Therefore, dancing on cement, I get off of it only, I think only once in that entire dance, I get off the bench. And um, so it's not uh, something tremendously injurious to dance on this. It's I'm you know, dancing on a bench almost the entire uh, six minutes. And, um, you know, it's something that I was very familiar with. So it wasn't additional amount of time for rehearsals. The piece was already um, in my body, so to speak. And I could transport the bench in a car, my own car. Um, so there was no expense there. Um, so it's a, a, a range of things that have to be looked at um, uh, when involved in something like this. Um, the thing for the Boca Raton Museum, um, they had actually engaged in me in the dance. And I felt that it was more important to showcase FAU and the dancers that I have um, who are local professional dancers and as well alumna, almost all of them are women mm -hmm. um, that I have so uh, I wanted to showcase them in this piece since the core, uh, the artist whose work they were exhibiting was also um, uh, a woman and a woman of color so my company uh, is quite diverse so I felt it was better to take the honorarium that they gave and divided it up evenly amongst uh, the participants instead. So uh, each of them um, were able to get something in return for um, having participated in that event. So okay. it changes. It's based on what is asked for, what the space is, how much time we have, you know, just a bunch of different things that have to be thought through. Right. So in this particular moment, what I'm going to do is, as a fellow podcaster would say, is set the table. So I am speaking with Mr. Clarence Brooks. And of course, as you know, this is the Kevin Johnson program as we spotlight the arts and entertainment here in South Florida. And you can find us on anchor.fm forward slash KevJohnPro. And we're also on Facebook Twitter, and Instagram, also under Kev John Pro. So as I was speaking to Mr. Brooks, how I found out about him is because of a person that I interviewed a while back. Her name was Nicole Perry, and she has a, a company called Momentum Stage, which doesn't necessarily focus on the performance aspect of dance as more of the educational aspect of dance and I knew of Mr. Brooks actually uh, a while back because as he was just saying that he teaches at FAU which is Florida Atlantic University up in Boca Raton and to tell you um, sir I actually saw one of the programs you curated uh, Dances We Dance I don't know if that's still in existence. Yes, it is. It's the uh, Student to Dance Company. Um, and uh, it is uh, basically a, I could use the term pickup company. 
in that it's whomever FAU students are that audition and get into the piece, into the company, um, then perform in the, um, you know, the spring of each semester. Uh, but there are some student clubs that are just such audience favorites that there are people who absolutely set their clock to come and see Ballroom of FAU, that come to see Pulse Dance Troupe of FAU, um, and who come to see the Chinese Dance Ensemble. Uh, these are just three of the groups that are almost always cast um, of the eight to 13 companies or, or dance ensembles that are put into the show, um, those three are almost always in every show because the audiences just literally set their clocks to come and see what these three groups in particular are doing. And then, of course, to go and see what new pieces and new dancers are also there and what different pieces are being presented. So, yes, thank you for coming to support us, the Dances We Dance. Dances We Dance was the first ever recital or performance that I saw that was straight movement um because of course we wanted to showcase more talent more works more choreographers and if there was a way in order for us to do that um you know we needed to actually go and see how it was done so i appreciate yes. you i appreciate you uh, you know, you know, forming those type of programs in order to provide platforms for artists in order to create. Um, but I think, as always, we try to take a step back in order to move forward. So let me just, uh, you know, get some uh, things out of the way. The Florida, Florida Atlantic University, they have like a full on dance department itself, aside from theater, aside from music. Is it like a full-on dance uh, facility or department? The, um, the, de uh, the department is actually the Department of Theater and Dance. Okay. Um, so I fall under the umbrella there, although the School of the Arts does consider that it now has four legs. It's three departments with four legs. Visual art, music, theater, and dance. But theater and dance are one department. So... Mm. Uh, what I direct is the dance program, which falls under the Department of Theater and Dance. Okay. And are you the, how could I say, uh, are you the head, uh, the, 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 the chairman of that dance uh, contingent? Are you like the... the uh, it's always a you know, thing with titles. It's, uh, it's always a, a bit of a headache with people. Um, it's always I forget titles all the time. Uh, <laughs> I am a uh, associate professor, which means I'm tenured and I'm there for basically as long as uh, I continue to do the work that uh, you know, I've been doing. Um, but uh, there is a chair of the department, and then I am under that chair as director of dance. Uh, and again, it's a uh, it's like a juggling. Um, with the chair or the dean or the provost are engaging people in the arts. There are three chairs, chair of theater, chair of uh, music, and chair of visual arts. And then they'll usually bring me in because I'm the, the, the spokesperson, I'm the authority there on campus for all things dance, um, since I'm the only full-time dance faculty there at the university. So. Um, I'm it. So 
there will be three chairs and then this director and I fall under the chair of the Department of Theater and Dance. Huh. So that's a conversation started, in itself. I started the program um, when I came to FAU in 2004. I had known two of my predecessors, uh, both of whom are now deceased. Uh, we lost uh, uh, Rebel Shaw, who that I know of, as far as my research has shown, was the first dance faculty member at FAU. She came in um, shortly after the university was started. It was a two-year program in uh, the 1962-1963. And shortly thereafter, she came in and taught classes here. She had studied early on. She was in her 90s when she passed uh, uh, this time last year. Um, she had studied with the early modern dancers, Ted Sean, Ruth uh, uh, St. Dennis, and all. So her roots went back quite far. And then my immediate predecessor was actually quite known throughout the theater uh, uh, field here in uh, uh, South Florida, uh, Dr. Frances uh, Frankie Jellick Myers. Um, she was a dancer and then became for a long time the chair of the department when it was just the theater department. The dance did not have its own separate identity. And then um, she helped start the faculty assembly at FAU and was the uh, president of the faculty assembly for a number of years. Uh, and we lost her actually in the summer uh, right after I started at FAU. Uh, so in 2005, we lost her. Hmm. But uh, so I, they, and she had never, you know, the, the program hadn't gotten big enough to have its own name back then. And hmm. then uh, with my, at the end of my first year, it was quite evident that, uh, you know, my aim was to grow the program. And so the faculty agreed to add and dance to the, the, uh, the name. And so that is what the department is. Great. And I should say that part of what it is, too, is, you know, um, I turned 60 this summer, and you know, this is a field where the tradition is passed on from one body to the next, and it is incumbent upon me to, as a teacher and as having you know, still performing to educate uh, the future. Whether or not they're becoming professional dancers or whether or not they become dance scientists or dance lawyers or they become any other field of study or behavior or you know, life, um, I'm educating the whole body, the whole individual. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want them to have as informed a mind-body connection as possible. And so one of the things that I think is absolutely necessary is that you have the training, but the, the, the reason why we have dance as a profession is because it was something that societies, cultures around the world for eons that we know of, that we can find from you know the earliest anthropological studies, um, have always used dance or movement as a means of communicating. Um, sometimes it was you know, part of their everyday lifestyles, sometimes it was part of their spiritualities, um, but always it was there for all of their major ceremonies. And so, um, my goal is to make sure that the, the dance performance part is there because that's where we started. And then we work backwards from the performance into, oh, we need to make sure we're 
training the bodies a little bit more to be able to do what it is that we want. And so the training is there now, and so we try to train them to get into the performing aspect of it. But I say to people when they're in my classes and they succeeded their first week, I refer to them all as dancers. And, um, and that the idea is that you know hopefully they will leave there with information that they will continue to have movement in their lives you know, you know after their four years at FAU. But so your story uh, before you came to FAU, I'm sure your story doesn't uh, start there. So let's go back to the beginning and try to fast forward to your present um, tenure at Florida Atlantic. So I'm sure that you've been performing or you've been dancing since you were a toddler, correct? And that would be incorrect. <laughs> I started dancing in uh, 1980 when I was 20 years old. So it's not the norm whatsoever. Um, I had the semester before I was taking classes at a junior college. That's uh, what we called them back then. Right. Uh, community colleges. Yeah. Uh, uh, back in 1979 uh, in the middle of Oklahoma, Midwest City, Oklahoma. And the... the Junior college required a phys ed um, credit to as part of your uh, uh, requirements for graduation, and so I marched on down to the gymnasium to sign in. And as I opened the door to the men's locker room, there were two different doors: one for the men and one for the women. And that was the only way into the spaces. You could only go in based on those two gender identity uh, identified uh, spaces. And I opened the door to walk into the men's locker room to walk in through to the gym. And the smell of sweat and really just poor hygiene is the best way that I could, you know, was just so bad. The funk was just so bad that I just literally felt like I was going to hurl. Um, and I closed the door and I stepped back and I said, I can't believe that this is college and a gymnasium smells like that and I just I was just so revolted and so upset by it that I said I'm not going to walk into that door every you know twice a week three times a week whatever the requirements were for that course um, you know to, to, to meet this requirement that's just disgusting that uh, an adult male cannot uh, have such good hygiene or good cleanliness habits to clean themselves to you know use deodorant whatever it is it was just so obnoxious and so noxious that I just was really uh, quite angered by it and uh, yeah, I walked around the building to try to figure out if there was another way in, and there wasn't. And so I determined then, I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to pay this you know, credit to walk in there into uh, uh, something that was so foul. It was just disgusting. And so on my way back to the guidance counselor, I walked um, through a, the School of Music and Theater building, and I heard music playing, and I popped my uh, head into a door, and I saw... You know, people just like me, they weren't dressed in any dance clubs, clothing, and a woman was leading them through some um, basic exercises, and she saw me and beckoned me in, and uh, I thought, okay, I'll just take what she's doing, and I'll see if I can participate, since these were music students and theater students, is what I later found out, and this was a woman by the name of Gail Riggs, who was a ballerina with the uh, Ballet Oklahoma, a company that doesn't exist anymore out in Oklahoma. And the university had engaged her uh, to teach 
know, some basic dance courses, and they were hiring her to choreograph the musical for that summer. Hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I just happened to be walking by as she was starting her first day of class. And what I now know is that the class probably didn't have enough people in it. And so her beckoning me in was trying to increase the enrollment, maybe get it to the basic limit. I don't remember how many people were in the class. But at the end of that hour, hour and a half, however long it was, um, I was sweating. And I was enthusiastic about what I had done in that class, what the people were doing, what she had us doing. And I inquired as to what the class was. And then I continued my march down to the guidance counselor. And I said, I'm not doing that gym class. And I told her why. And I was you know, quite clear and quite demonstrative about it to make sure that that was not <laughs> Right. And then uh, I said, look at how my arm, 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 underarms are perspiring. And I mean, she couldn't tell by the look of the skin on my face. But uh, I said, I just took this class. And I want to take it because you can see it's actually physical engagement, and uh, uh, this class should count for that. And you know, she agreed. This counselor agreed that that should be the PE credit instead. And so, but it was a, I think it was like or something where it was eight weeks or six weeks of dance, and then six weeks or eight weeks of uh, ballroom dancing. So it was like modern and then ballroom to kind of add it up. And these were the two choreographers, co-choreographers for the musical, um, uh, um, not on the town, it was uh, trombones, uh, 76 trombones. I met both choreographers and then was immediately cast as one of the dancer actors in uh, that musical. Okay. So that's the, the first dance you know, training that I had was that fall, that spring semester at this junior college. But then what happened is that um, Gail Riggs, the main teacher who taught the modern dance, informed the class that um, they were, she was teaching also at the private university, Oklahoma City University, just in the downtown, just north of the downtown Oklahoma City, um, at Oklahoma City University, and that they were doing a free day of dance, and their guest speaker was the great Native American ballerina Maria Tolchi. She was our nation's first prima ballerina and one of five internationally renowned Native American ballerinas from Oklahoma. Um, and she was coming back to speak um, and then uh, teach a master class. Hmm. And uh, that master class, of course, required that you were a professional dancer and that you paid for that class to you know, cover her fees. And uh, but around that um, were other classes that were just open for anyone to participate in who wanted to. And so um, several of the people in the class were anxious to do that. They had had years of training, and uh, but they weren't professional dancers, and it was free. So I contacted my, or spoke to my parents about it and uh, asked if I could borrow the family car. Hmm. And uh, so they made you know, arrangements to get whatever they needed to done, done before that Saturday, and they gave me the car, and I picked up my five, six friends, and we climbed in the car and drove to the uh, you know, city university to take class. And I, I remember taking the first class, and the teacher came up to me afterwards and said, uh, uh, it was like a musical theater jazz class. It was a lot of fun. We used a lot of contemporary music, and some music I'd not heard before. And uh, said, 
come back for the intermediate and dance class later in the afternoon. And I said, well, I'm not a dancer. I can't do that. And he said, uh, well, it's a free class. And it looked like you were having fun in the beginning intermediate class. You know, why don't you come back for the intermediate advance? Instead of watching it, you could just sort of watch it. You could take it and um, see how, you know, how you do. There's nothing, if you don't like it, you can sit down. If you like it, you can continue doing the whole class. And I came back and I thought, okay, I'll just take him up on that little offer. And if, I, if it gets too much for me, I'll sit out. But I managed to make it all the way through the whole class. There were things I could not do, of course, but I was having a blast from what I recall of it. And at the end of the class, um, we thanked the teacher, and then he called five or six of us over to speak to a panel that I had not been aware of during the class. And these were other faculty members and the dean, and you know, uh, they are observing us in this class. And they offered um, the five of us scholarships to study there that fall. Well, the other people had trained for years, and it was quite obvious they had come in from all over the place, and they were, um, you know, dancers who had had years of study. I had literally had only that previous semester of six, eight weeks of modern class for actors and ballroom for actors for all the preparation for the musical, and uh, nowhere near what these other dancers had um, in their toolkit. They were. You know, literally, they, they agreed with the other four, and then they held me back and they asked me questions about who I was and what I was doing and you know whether or not I was interested. And they voted, and the majority of them said, "Okay, yes, we'll give this man, uh, you know, twenty-year-old with no experience whatsoever, um, except for street dancing and mime, um, you know, a chance." And so that's how I actually got started. Was at the age of twenty um, with you know, serious training in the, the field of ballet jazz and some tap that was what was offered there uh, predominantly they did have modern for a while so uh i would take it that uh, there must have been some years of uh, jealousy and envy with other people who have had larger pedigrees um i don't know if uh, you ran into or was uh, confronted by that yes uh there were definitely things that the uh, faculty did their best to hide from me um, there. Um, uh, there were you know, posters made, and uh, there was a poster where um, the university would engage a renowned figure to come in and as be part of their um, fundraising activities to, to raise funds for the library or some aspect of the university. Um, one year, it was uh, the late, great uh, Pearl Bailey and her husband, Louis Belson. So many people probably don't know who that is, but either of those two are. You have to be of a certain age to remember those two uh, uh, royalty and theater and music. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I was uh, asked to do the solo, um, that same solo that I did in that little postage stamp church basement. Um, at the opening of this uh, engagement. And so they used a picture of me um, holding in one hand Pearl Bailey and in the other hand, or all on my hip, was a photograph of uh, her husband and his orchestra. And then it said the OCU uh, American Spirit Dancers, which was the name of the company. I think it still exists. Um, and so evidently, you know, people were 
that bent out of shape and the n-word was written across a couple of the posters um, they tried to hide them as much as possible but i did happen onto campus early one day and i saw it written on the, uh, the posters so um, you know they, they did their best the faculty were you know wanting to do what they could tear down what they could and replace them but i did see that um, so and you there were definitely people who were bent out of shape about it um, to use that phrase right and, uh, it's quite interesting that when i graduated two years later because i'd had two years of three years later i had to, uh, 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 several years of training uh, my undergraduate uh, academic courses out of the way at the junior college and i just needed my dance courses at the university when I got there. Um, when I graduated, um, of the five of us that were given that scholarship originally, um, only two of us completed the program. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, here was the novice um, completing the program and only one other who had trained uh, for a number of years. All the others did not finish their um, training there at that institution so uh, yeah and it's you know it's a it's a very unique field it's about what you bring to the table you know you could have a pedigree of any sort but that does not mean that you're going to be able to do the dancing that that choreographer needs done um and so it's that's why the auditions are so important um that you get there that you try to understand that you've done some homework before you've gotten there to understand who this choreographer is, what is it that they are looking for, is it part of an independent project or something larger, um, that you do your homework, that you get the background there, and that you yourself have also, you know, you're, you're ready to do that kind of work that the choreographer is looking for. Um, and, and that's why auditions are so important, so they can look to see. You know, they're going to want to look at a resume to see what you've done, but I've seen choreographers, you know, basically just make sure that the person has done something, but they don't care what it is. They just want to make sure that you can do what they are actually looking for. Because if it's if it's weeks or months of rehearsal, and you can show an interest in what it is that they're doing, that's really what they're after. They want to get the, the best bodies that can be the physical voices for what they're looking for. So let's uh, fast forward just a little bit. Um going into, of course, your, uh, your, your current career as a teacher, um, full-time salaried tenure at Florida Atlantic. Now, were you uh, coming from another uh, institution before you got to FAU? Uh, no, I was not. Um, I had had a career um, of about 18, 19 years um, performing all over, all over the United States and several parts of the world. Western Europe and Asia, and I had a series of injuries, and uh, realizing you know that the, the dance career you know has its limits, and your your body just eventually says, okay, we, we can't be doing that. And then you go to auditions, and you realize, okay, everybody else is eighteen and twenty years old, and I'm in my thirties. You know, so the opportunities were becoming fewer. Um, and at that time, um, a program in uh, Seattle, the University of Washington, uh, had contacted me and asked if I was interested in going back to school to get my master's. And in order to get your master's at that program, you had to still be a performer. You had to have uh, 
a professional career of 10 years or more and still be capable of dancing. Um, the stipend or an honorarium and assistantship that they offered uh, covered, um, you had to be able to perform as part in order to receive that. So uh, I had turned the offer down, I think two times, uh, two years before, but then after the series of injuries, I realized, okay, we need to make sure we can um, go to the next step. And I had no idea what that was going to be, but the idea of teaching in university appealed to me because that's where I started. So I thought that might be a nice way to go at this, um, you know, to get a terminal degree. Um, at that time, um, you know, 1995, 96, it was still possible for someone in the performing arts to get a university job based on experience. But the window, that door was closing quickly. They were, the requirement for a terminal degree um, was fast approaching. And so I thought, let me make sure that I had that degree. They were, it was basically paid for um, another scholarship as long as I was performing and could perform. Then, um, and as long as I taught and came up with a course to be taught in the, the end of my two years of grad school, then the entire thing was paid for. Tuition was covered, so I took that uh, position, um, taught for two years, uh, uh, trained, studied, and taught for the two years that I was there at the University of Washington in Seattle. And then throughout that entire process, they were teaching us how to apply for university jobs uh, around the nation, around the world, um, so to speak. And um, I made the short list for several. Um, I made the call-in list for a couple, and then for reasons, well, you know, I knew for two of the reasons, uh, or two of the universities, I had turned down the offers. Uh, one was in Wyoming, because uh, I turned it down because I, frankly, I was an openly gay African-American male with dreadlocks, and I just wasn't familiar with black people, dreadlock people, queer people in Wyoming. And um, so I turned down that gig and um, accepted a teaching position at a magnet school here in uh, West Palm Beach, Palm Beach County. And it just so happened that that very fall, as I was teaching at this magnet school, Bach Middle School of the Arts is what it's called now, um, was the same um, fall semester that Matthew Shepard was um, uh, murdered in Wyoming. He would have been, had I accepted that gig, uh, probably my student that fall that I was there at, at Wyoming. Um, you know, just the, even now, um, my eyes tear up and the hair on my arm stands up at the very thought that, you know, I would have known this man, um, you know, because he was in the musical theater program, he took courses there, um, would have been quite a shock along with trying to adjust to being you know, openly gay and black and dreadlocked out there um, uh, it was just, it, it really hit me quite deeply. It's hit me, as, it still hits me as deeply as all of the Me Too and all of the Black Lives Matter things that are happening now with the uh, racial uh, injustices that are there. Um, so uh, I had accepted the position here at Bach and uh, came to FAU because 
uh, they were looking for choreographers to choreograph their summer musicals at the time. And so for three summers, uh, they engaged me to choreograph their summer musicals and some of the productions that had movement in it. And it was during those um, opportunities that I met uh, Frankie Myers, Dr. Myers, uh, before she passed. So uh, that's how I came to FAU. It was actually the first uh, university position that I had outside of grad school. So now to compare 2004 to 2020, have you seen a growth or has it been a dearth of professional dance factions uh, outside of the academic world? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, uh, dearth or growth of dance programs? Well, not only dance programs, but also dance companies, dance factions. Um, how how was the dance market back then when you joined FAU compared to now? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, the downturn in the economy in 2007, 2008 really hit um, quite deeply. Um, uh, a lot of programs, a lot of choreographers uh, uh, did not survive. Uh, companies didn't survive. Uh, Theater, you know, even you know, galleries, you know, uh, visual art galleries, which are usually pretty well, you know, supported and funded with so many visual artists that are out there, um, did not survive the 2008 with the downturn. Um, uh, we were lucky. The dance program at FNU is um, pretty solid, I have to say. Um, uh, we always had full classes, always had uh, full programs. Every single semester, the number of people who come to FAU to see the, the dance programs always increases uh, uh, with the number of people who are coming to see the, the, the dance concerts. Um, so we were fortunate there. Um, the thing that I tried to get my dancers in the rep company, Repertory Dance Theater Ensemble, that I tried to get the students in the Dances We Dance company to understand and those who are just in the classes and in the clubs, is to grow where you fall. Um, you know, a lot of people want to go to the cultural hotspots. You know, I was in New York at a very good time. Um, I was in Boston right at the end of a good time for Boston. And they, they lost all of their funding uh, for, the, uh, for the arts, and, uh, and so many companies folded. Uh, these cities these cultural hotspots are extremely expensive. You know, when I moved to New York City, um, there were subway tokens. That'll, that'll date me. Um, and the tokens were, you know, at one point, they were 25 cents. They were, you know, I remember jumping all the way to a dollar. You know, it was, it was you know, unbelievable. My, my rent for my, uh, that I shared with uh, four roommates in New York City, um, the, the total rent was $1,600 when I moved into the city. And, 1990, and uh, when I left, my rent had, uh, when I got to grad school and I contacted my colleagues, the rent had gone up to $2,600. I had no idea how they managed to, to, to cover that back then. Um, while I was away, there was no way that I was going to be able to return to that apartment uh, you know, after grad school because you know, I had student loans to, you know, I took out a loan to cover my living expenses um, while I was in grad school. 
And I thought, okay, that's that's just not feasible. So I say to my students, grow where you land. You know, whatever you're doing, whatever your interest is, whatever your job is, whatever career you fall into, keep the dance there, keep your arts there, um, and then grow there for what you have you know, to, to make it work that is there. You know, get together like-minded people. Um, create a collective of some sort, and you all create on each other, and you create in a collective and grow. Um, so that that way you can still be active and functioning in your art and survive as best you can um, when, the, when, when the going is, is very, very tough. Um, some programs at universities fell, companies fell, professional companies folded. Um, yeah, I'm seeing the same thing now with the pandemic and people trying to figure out, can my company you know, grow again? A colleague, a friend of mine, a choreographer I danced with in Charleston had a uh, private uh, business of her own that was based on Pilates. And she was training you know, not just dancers, but she was training anyone who wanted to come in and strengthen their body using the system, the Pilates system. And um, you know, as they were they're unfolding through the various different phases on what could possibly happen, you know, she was you know counting ahead to figure out you know what she would have to do in order to keep the physical distancing, the cleaning of the space, the you know uh, people wearing masks, uh, how many people could she get into the space and still keep the company viable and. It just wasn't adding up, and so she announced sadly that she was having to close the business because there was just no way that she could meet the needs of going even entering phase one or phase two or whatever phase they were going to open these gyms uh, like businesses and get enough clientele and make sure that she herself was safe to make sure that her uh, uh, employees were safe. And you know, that they would be able to move out and move back into their homes with their, their families. And then also to make sure that the clientele were also safe. Um, so you know, it's, 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 we're in another tough time period and it's, uh, it hurts to see things like this where you know, businesses of different sorts are just not going to make it. And you know, the, you know, when will a theater be able to open you know, with physical distancing between audience members? You know, how many backstage crew would you have for this? You know, where would the dancers rehearse to be able to do a dance? Where would a singer rehearse to be able to sing? And you know, would they be able to sing with a mask? You know, you know, would there be an orchestra in the pit? These people are going to need to have salaries of some sort, you know, to pay the front of house backstage or whatnot. It's like, you know, how is this going to work? Um, we are fortunate at the university where. It's students who are being trained to do these um, these fields, front of house, backstage, on stage, um, and I've seen colleagues around the world actually um, step forward with uh, ideas that you know they would do only um, certain number of students coming in to do the performance, and those who were performing on stage, whether it's a theatrical performance or a singing performance or an acting performance. Um, that the, the students and the faculty only would be there and a certain number would be you know, separated. So, um, but they're getting support of students supporting other students. So you know, that's, that's a possibility based on you know, what some people might choose or select to do. But as far as inviting an audience in to pay, I'm thinking that that's gonna be quite difficult to, to engage in 
for a while yet. So, right. So, um, I take it that you're, you've probably answered my question just in that conversation just then. Uh, you are, you know, constantly, I, I take it in talks with other faculty and of course the, the chairs of the department in reference to how you're going to proceed moving forward uh, this upcoming season. Yes, uh, both as uh, education, you know, the part of Cape Hobbity, you know, whether or not we're going to be teaching, uh, they've offered um, three different formats, uh, remote teaching, which means that I would be teaching, you know, sitting in front of my laptop. Um, face-to-face teaching is an option that some have selected. And then there are those courses that would be hybrids, a little of both. Um, so those were the three options that we have been offered at FAU. And um, you know, different programs around the world have come up with the same formatting of ideas and options to offer. And then some have offered only one of those or two of those. But I'm also, uh, via social media, you know, one of the wonderful things about this, you know, this social media is that I'm now in constant contact with colleagues around the world to see what is it that they are doing, what options have they gotten, and then sharing uh, best practices. Um, so we have all of that that is you know, at, uh, you know, on the table now to, to look and to see and to evaluate. Um, I'm actually planning to do uh, a virtual dance concert in the fall uh, because I think it's going to be too soon to do something in uh, theatrical space. So uh, we're planning a uh, dance concert that will happen where people can just come online and observe what we're doing. So is this where you will you know, put something together in a specific location live stream it and then just people will just watch it online yes that will be one of the uh, pieces uh, that we are looking at we have um, some recorded dance uh, so we're going to do that i've uh, engaged a couple of choreographers to create pieces either solos or ensemble pieces and then we would um, basically rehearse the dancers in their specific places or places that we decide would be the best and then the dancers would film themselves send the information to me or to the choreographers to then edit so that there would be some live uh, pieces that would happen some pre-recorded pieces from uh, the past and then some blended things that would happen as well so it would be a uh, a variety show of a sort okay okay with a mix so I'm going to, we're going to wind down a little bit here, but one of the things that comes to mind is longevity. So you've been at, you know, this institution uh, working and instructing other, uh, other students for, uh, you know, 16 years. And I always felt that the artist or the performer has most of like a nomadic mind so what do you think has kept you in this tenure for so long what has kept me in in 
what has kept you, you know, in this one particular, what is the secret to your longevity uh, as a teacher? Uh-huh. For, for teaching at the university? Yes. Ah, okay. Um, uh, the longevity, I would, uh, I would say the main reason is that I love teaching. Um, I love getting into a space with uh, dancers with bodies, period. It doesn't even have to be dancers. And knowing that when they come, when they leave that space, they're leaving there with more information than they came in there knowing about themselves or about some aspect of this field of study. Um, I think that's what keeps me going is getting back into the studio, uh, being around you know, each year uh, you know, a new crop of, of students and awakening their awareness of what their uh, mind-body connection can be, what their dreams and their aspirations can be. Um, I am also uh, still performing uh, for some reason or other. I've not had any um, uh, career-sustaining injuries that have curtailed the ability to perform. So this year, um, this past year, I did about, you know, I don't even know how many performances, uh, but the Library of Congress in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, asked for one of my solos and recorded it last April. Um, the National Arts Club in uh, New York City um, celebrated their 120th anniversary, and the dance chair, co-chairs asked for that same solo for their anniversary um, celebration. So I'm still performing myself. Uh, it's not what I was doing when I was 20 hmm. when I started, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still physically engaged and still trained. Um, of course, this has put a you know a, a stop to some of it. I'm training you know at home as best as we can with taking online you know yoga and movement and dance classes and. Um, yeah, trying to make sure that I stay fit through these uh, these next few months until we figure out how and what will happen for the, the fall and the, the coming year. So um, it's mostly there's a duty and a responsibility in this field to pass on knowledge, to pass on this information. Um, I was fortunate to meet and to work with people who are in the history books. I, I talk about about 125 choreographers that I've done works by in them. That's the conservative end of it. And probably all but 10 um, of those choreographers I did not get to work with one-on-one. Um, I have a responsibility to pass this information on for as long as I possibly can. Um, and so that is what keeps me going. So there doesn't seem like there is a shelf life. I mean, it seems like for every other performer, for any performer, there doesn't necessarily seem like there's a shelf life for dancers. I see Tony Basil, uh, who uh, most people know as the one-hit wonder singer for Mickey, but she was a dancer slash choreographer before she did that song and she's still moving in her 70s you know you're you're in your 60s and 
of course, once again, you're still you're you're still out there. You're still uh, contributing. You're still performing. So there doesn't yeah. seem like there is a shelf life for like you know when is it the time to stop and retire? Uh, when you die, or is it when you say that you know when you break a bone? Or, I mean, where, where does it where where does it? <laughs> it's definitely uh, uh, up to the individual, I think, based on the kind of work that they're doing. Um, I keep looking at you know, the kind of choreography that I do is based in a very strong technical base. Uh, I have to have ballet technique to do what it is that I do. The kind of choreography that I'm doing requires it or requires a very strong classical modern technique and requires a yoga base or a somatic base understanding foundation um, for the work. You know, there are choreographers who, you know, and for some reason or other, you know, nature has, um, you know, my DNA has supplied me with a good level of testosterone. So the, the muscle texture tension is all there and it's still doing things. You know, before the pandemic, I was still taking class you know, three, four times a week, five times a week, and able to successfully do a full dance class, mostly ballet classes. Um, and for some people, that's just not possible. Their knees blew out, their hips, they, you know, they've had hip replacements after hip replacement, their back has gone out, there's just no way that their bodies will still do this. Um, and for some reason or other, mind is still capable of doing it. And, you know, I do the best I can with, um, vegan uh, of about three years, vegetarian of four decades. Um, you know, I eat right, I exercise, um, I do my regular uh, practice of uh, keeping engaged with my body, um, and I take class you know, to make sure that what I'm doing or what I want to do on stage, I'm able to accomplish it as the choreographer intended. When I start to look at the videos of rehearsals and I look at it, it's like, no, that's not that's not what the choreographer intended. We're not able to do that that well. We won't be doing that dance, you know, again. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm always evaluating what it is that I've set myself up to accomplish or to do and deciding whether or not, okay, yes, that, that'll work. Maybe for another year, okay? But, you know, I'm, I'm always... It's what an artist, I think all artists do this. They look at the work and they stand back and they keep evaluating it to see. Um, I was teasing with a choreographer uh, whose work I do, and uh, his uh, one of the solos that he created for me has um, has the dancer in little booty shorts. And I was asked to do a, a keynote presentation a few years ago. And you know, keynote presentation, usually you come in with a speech that's 10, 15 minutes long and you take questions. And so I thought, okay, I, this was specifically as a keynote performer I was engaged to be. So I thought, okay, I'm going to need to come up with 10, 20 minutes of dance. And so I thought, okay, there's a solo. That was a wonderful piece. Let me see um, what was in, involved in that solo. And one of them was to, you know, the very end of the dance, be there standing in booty shorts and doing, you know, a very... Uh, technically demanding dance and I thought well let me first let me see what I look like in the costume <laughs> and once I looked at the costume and you know photographed 
myself and videoed myself and looked all around. I thought, okay, it doesn't look bad. And then I started doing the dancing and I thought, okay, I'm able to do this. Um, and so I was able to accomplish it. So, you know, there's that constant evaluation to see. And thus far, I've been fortunate. It doesn't mean that, you know, in a year or so that that's going to be the case. It could very well be that at the end of all this, there's just, you know, I decide, okay, that's it. That's as far as I'm going with me performing on stage. I'll just focus on choreographing and teaching and training, you know, as a part of my creative endeavors instead. So, you know, are you looking, are you looking to, to sorry, are you looking to also probably, or you may have already started doing this uh, already, starting your own dance company outside of uh, the school? Most likely not. Um, the, 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 you know, people years ago had asked why I wanted to do a dance company at the university as opposed to doing one freelance. And some of my colleagues have selected that. I'm actually involved you know, with a friend who teaches out in Arizona. Um, he has engaged me as a dancer to perform in a piece that he has in Michigan, which was postponed because of the pandemic, but it will happen at some point. Um, and he has an exterior dance company. It's got his name on it, Dance Tactics, and it's professional dancers in New York. He does the fundraising, he does all of it. Even though he teaches in Arizona, the company is based in New York City. Now, that's an option. He is a internationally renowned choreographer. Um, his works are phenomenal. Um, I've engaged him to choreograph a duet on me uh, and one of my dancers, which I would love to do again. Um, but it was just an option that I just, you know, the idea of trying to collect a board of directors, raising the funds, getting the grants, um, you know, being responsible for the insurance for the dancers, making sure that I'm doing enough work to engage the dancers, to even say that we have a company. Um, you know, on top of doing the university gig, I just don't know how he and several others have done this. It's just beyond my you know, realm of trying to figure out, okay, where will we rehearse? Where, where will we um, gather to rehearse this dance at this studio and then go to this studio and rehearse there or you know any number of things I'm, the number of things that I'm doing already as director of dance at FAU having a dance company that's there with under the umbrella of the university that for me seems fine um, for, for right now um, I, I might change my mind you know as I get nearer to you know the retirement age if I'm still doing stuff I might say okay you know what I might do you know, one or two or three more years of something outside of it. But right now, it's seeming like what I would prefer is to keep it connected to the university. There are just so many more. Uh, you know, I have a I have a free space to rehearse the dances. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about trying to find rehearsal space. Um, there's no, there's none of that overhead that I would have to be worried about. If I, I still have to find the funds to you know, pay the dancers. Um, when people engage me, um, because I already have a salary, what I do is I take that honorarium, put it aside, and that's what I use to pay my dancers or the honorarium that I collect. Um, the, you know, insurance, that's covered by the university. Um, this all, both, you know, whether or not I had a, um, 
dance company embedded in the university or a dance company that's outside of the university, both of those would still go towards what we call publisher parish, my professional development to show that I am viable in this field. Um, so in that and in that light, it would still solve um, uh, the same you know, uh, comment or need that I would need in order to stay um, as a professor to show that I'm still you know, doing work out there. That's important. Um, but I just find it far easier, far less taxing um, as far as to-do lists, staying engaged with the university, with the university company, even though I have dancers who are, you know, outside of FAU and students that I'm creating, some of whom I will use in the professional company. Um, I just think it's an, an easier load. Um, but you know, my hat goes off to those who are doing it. I just do not know how they're doing. I mean, they have, they have to have very responsible dancers um, who are taking up some of the duties and responsibilities, which is what I'm seeing with several of the companies, um, that the dancers do take on multiple tasks, but it's um, it's quite a load to, to, to engage. So I figure I wanted to uh, close out with this, and being a, uh, a gentleman of color, being a gentleman of the um, L... GBTQ community where we are now in an era of reckoning uh, conversations are being had and I don't necessarily know if the pinpoint was due to the fact that this pandemic has caused a domino effect where things are now more exposed during this generation with police brutality with systemic racism with you know current events that are going on uh, these movements that are happening where people are now opening their 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 mouths talking about um, sexual assault and um, things of that nature and especially in the performing arts community now do you feel that this is the time where uh, marginalized uh, sections are going to get their just due? Or is this just another saying, well, okay, well, this is happening. We'll give them their time and then we'll just take it back. And then, you know, generation later on, it just seems that these are coming in waves. So yes. do you, so do yeah. you feel that now, uh, now is the time I, where, go ahead. I feel that now is something extremely different. Um, again, I, I'll turn 60 in August. I've, you know, I've gone through the full range of um, racial profiling. I've had um, police stop me. I've had uh, never the gun pointed at me, but the gun uh, pulled slightly out of the holster. Um, you know, knowing that at any moment this would be the end of my life. You know, that, that, that has happened more times than I can um, uh, uh, remember. Um, what is different here is that we've had, I, I call it several uh, pandemics. We've got the uh, coronavirus, which has caused us to have to shelter in space. Most of us who are sane have done so. 
Um, uh, we have the racial uh, uh, pandemic, which came to a head, especially with the um, constant barrage of what I uh, am, or what I've heard referred to as death porn, getting to actually watch as we've witnessed what African Americans have said has existed for you know, centuries. Um, the, the death of George Floyd there in front of us, and the fact that people, police, have gotten away with it. Um, also, the, um, the combined illnesses with what has happened here with this uh, uh, administration, because it's both ignorance about disease and ignorance about uh, racial inequalities and actually promoting um, you know, white supremacy at various different stages um, with the various different comments that have been made. Um, this seems different because so many people around the world are responding and so many organizations have put out um, racial diversity uh, 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 statements saying that they are pledging to do something. Now, people may have said that in the past, but what has been different this time around is the number of people that are doing it and the youth especially in doing this thing that is, I, I think the term that I've been hearing is called calling out, um, saying that they are, that that's it, we're not doing it. And it was not something I was familiar with that I had ever heard before, and I am now fully on board with it. Um, I've, I've had enough. Um, I am willing to relinquish all kinds of relationships, professional and personal relationships, with people who are still promoting um, police uh, 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 you know, violence, that they're not willing to look at this, that they're not willing to even look at the ideas of defunding police. You know, we're talking about, again, a version of military militarization of a community, and it uh, comes at me differently than it would to those of us who are not of color. Um, you know, it's the fear that goes through my body and having to, you know, talk to my nephew about how he needs to be careful because he could end up dead. You know, that any moment this could happen to me. Um, these youth are now stepping forward and saying, calling out people for where they have been sexually abused, where they have been racially profiled, where they have been discriminated against based on any number of things. And I'm to the point now where it's like, okay, I'm watching to see who has put out statements and I don't care how long or how deeply the relationship has been, I'm going to wait and I'm going to see complete action. And I will be there right beside these youth to see that what they have said they're going to do, they are going to do it. I will call out all kinds of people because it's no skin off my back. I've got, I've, I've reached um, you know, the, 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 the pinnacle that I can get to as far as my career as a professor. I am untouchable as long as I do the work that I'm doing. Now I see part of my work is to make sure that people who put out these statements are actually going to do what they say. And I'm joining groups that that is our assignment. We're going to go back to different organizations and say, oh, we need to see what your curriculum is. We understand that your teacher has been teaching this curriculum for two decades, three decades, and they're not willing to make any changes. We need to see what that curriculum is and does it include people of color? Does it include indigenous people? Does it include uh, disabled? Because if it doesn't, and it's only including white, then that's white supremacy. And you cannot be teaching 
dance. That's disgusting to think that you can even teach any of the visual or performing arts, that anybody is teaching any of these fields in public or private space and only teaching it with you know, one focus or one identity that is there, forgetting that not only the people of color, the sexual uh, uh, orientation, minorities, all of their various different groups should be represented in it, but also those who are not members of those should also know that queer people have been involved in dance history and music history and visual arts history in American history, that Native American people have been involved, and they should know these names just as much as the professors do, and it should not be tokenism. So I will be going through all of my colleagues, I'm saying this to all of my colleagues at the you know, Florida Dance Education Organization, to all of my colleagues throughout the state of Florida, I'm coming for you, I'm going to make sure that you are not doing pavement, that you're not just saying things just to get us through this time period. No, Clarence Brooks is coming for you. I will be asking, let me see your statements, which you have published already, and now let me see what else you're doing. What kind of faculty have you hired? Who else are you bringing in? What kind of curriculum do you have? Who are your students that you have coming in? Are you only bringing in um, adjuncts of color and not your full faculty of color? Um, you know, I, I'm tired. This is it. This is, this is my mission now is to see that future generations do not have to do this again. We, this is it. This is the end of it. This is disgusting that we're now talking about 50 years of listening to James Baldwin, and it's still the same thing that's happening there. Now, this is the end of it. Um, this is the end of that kind of talk. People have made their statements, and now it's time for them to put their shoulder to the wheel and to make things happen. I'm calling people out. So as far as that goes, if we were to go back to our own house um, and once again, you know, I'm just going to be as transparent as I possibly can. Um, when do you think or will I mean, have you started to approach your own institution about having its dance department be as level as the other um, arts departments? as far as visual and performing and theater and music, getting a chair for dance? Um, what I have done is um, I've been taking this, uh, you know, this, I've been quarantined since March, and I have been evaluating my courses, um, you know, whether or not the, uh, I have missed uh, people at the table. Um, I'm looking at... Um, you know, changing things within the dance program. Um, things like, uh, and I know that getting a new faculty person in dance is on the list of faculty, you know, the things as the dance program grows. Of course, now we're, we're having to deal with uh, financial constraints because we don't know where money is coming from to, you know, grow any programs any larger. And we're talking about furloughing um, some of the administrative people uh, to make it through the next year or, or so. Um, so as far as getting uh, 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 dance to become its own department, that's going to be a longer you know, uh, series of stages of steps. I don't know that that will happen in the next six years would be ideal. Um, seven years, eight years while I am there uh, uh, on faculty, um, but it is on the table. Um, my big thing is making sure that the curriculum in the School of the Arts 
includes people of color and indigenous people. Um, it's, it's not there yet from what I know of, but that'll be part of the things that I'll be looking at overall. I am on the Dean's um, Diversity Committee. This committee was started uh, last year before um, the death porn uh, and police uh, things became um, uh, major headlines um, outside of the black community, outside of the brown communities, I should say. Um, and he had set up my diversity committee, and I was invited to be a part of it. So um, this will be part of one of the things that I will be on my personal charge to see how we can make sure that our college, the uh, Dorothy F. Smith College of Arts and Letters, which is under the heading of Florida Atlantic University, um, that it reflects its own statements of diversity. The dean has put out a statement as well. Um, he is a, a, a queer white man, um, uh, expert in uh, Latin uh, culture, uh, speaks Spanish fluently. Uh, so I have no qualms that he doesn't get it. Um, but the big thing for everyone is to do first personal examination because if your house is not clean, your own personal instrument, do you not understand what is uh, 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 gender fluidity? You need to do the homework to find out what that means. Do you not understand what it means to have dancers who are in wheelchairs or have one leg or have no legs? You need to do the homework to find out what that is. Who is not at your table of understanding take this time during this pandemic to do the homework and figure out what you personally need to have happen. And then you go from there to look at what needs to happen in your place of work. Are you using uh, racist, sexist language? Are you coming into a space and saying, oh, here's what I did with my husband or my wife, and then realize, okay, wait a minute, this person hasn't said whether or not they have a husband or wife. Are they still in the closet? So are we using language that is gendered, gendered, or are we using language that can be open? Oh, here's what I did with my spouse, as opposed to saying the gender of the person. Are you using, what pronouns are you using? Are you understanding the use of pronouns? If somebody is saying, oh, I use they, them, because my understanding of who I am fluctuates up and down the, uh, the gender binary. So those kinds of things are the things that we need to be doing personally within our own minds. I like to use this um, as I'm speaking to you, you don't know this, but I'm actually holding up my hand like a, a mirror, like a compact, and I'm remembering Michael Jackson's The Man in the Mirror song, the lyrics from that right, song. Right, right. I look at myself to see, okay, here's who you are. What is missing? What else do you need to examine personally before you can go charging into somebody else's you know, space? and uh, pointing the fingers at others. So um, I'm doing a lot of all of that at the same time. Understood. Well, once again, Mr. Brooks, I appreciate the conversation. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule in order to speak with me. I do wish you much success and health, because that is important, uh, in order to uh, get through this uh, era that we are in. And hopefully uh, one day uh, we'll actually come and uh, see a, another program besides Dances We Dance, since now we know that there are other components to the uh, dance contingent at Florida Atlantic University. And uh, 
And uh, we I'll be sure to make sure I uh, at least uh, send you the information for the fall dance concert and uh, the spring dance concerts from, from now on. That'd be great. Whether or not it happens, you know, the, the fall one will be virtual. So for sure, you know, you and your audience members should definitely log in to see that. And then possibly in the spring with a student dance company, maybe that'll happen actually in a theater or virtually again until, but I will definitely make sure that you are informed for those in the future. And what and website? I actually meet you. I wish that you had come uh, backstage or at least had, uh, I met you in the lobby after the student show to, uh, to have met you there. Oh, that's fine. And that will come. That will come. We will, we will make that, we will, we will take that to task. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what website uh, uh, for more information on uh, the dance programs at Florida Atlantic University? What website would one go to? The um, uh, School of the Arts and the Department of Theater and Dance post uh, everything on the university websites. Uh, so if you go to fau.edu, uh, you will see it there. You could also go directly to the Department of Theater and Dance. We post things there. Um, uh, we have social media for the Department of Theater and Dance. I have social media for myself, um, CLB, my initials, Clarence Leroy Brooks. Dreaded Dancer is my personal um, uh, Instagram, and I post information there about uh, any solo work that I am doing. Um, the uh, FAU Repertory Dance Theater Ensemble has a um, Instagram um, so there, there are several ways to, to, to get in touch with uh, FAU, and I will, I will email you some of those so that you can post those in any hard spaces that you might have as well. Great, great. Well, once again, this was Clarence Brooks that I spoke to. And once again, this was the Kevin Johnson program. Listen to the creatives of South Florida and find us on anchor.fm forward slash kevjohnpro. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also under Kev John Pro. And as always, support your local community. Take care.